Today, we want to continue our series on relationships, making connections, biblical relationships with others. I told the people at prayer meeting on Wednesday, I asked them to pray for me. I'm going to ask you now to pray for me as well. I said to them then, and I'll say to you, there are two things that you're never supposed to talk about in polite company. One is religion, and the other is politics. And today we're going to talk about both. Because the message today is entitled, Relationships with Citizens and Government. What does it mean to be a Christian and live under a government? Some of you here today have lived part of your life. I know I have lived part of my life under a government that I didn't like very much. You may have been born in Canada and live under a government you don't like very much. But many of you who were born elsewhere know what it means to live in a country where you know the government is corrupt. You know that the government hates Christians. You know that the government hates you. How do I respond to that? How do I live in a way that honors God and also honors what he wants me to do in the place that he has put me to live, to share the gospel, to reach out and be salt and light? How do I do that? How is that possible? So I ask you to forgive me in advance if what I have to say today offends you. I'm not here, I'm not looking to offend you, but if you're offended and it's from God's word, then I'm glad you're offended and I hope the Holy Spirit convicts you. of, Because in preparing this this week, I was offended and I had to repent on some of the things that I saw. So, let's bow for a word of prayer, and then we will look to God's word. Father God, we thank you that you are a faithful God, that you are on your throne, that the world belongs to you, and that Jesus is sitting at your right hand, crowned with glory and honor because of all that he has accomplished in his perfect life of obedience, his faithful sacrificial death on the cross and his victorious resurrection which brings new life to us and now as we look at your word at this subject that can be controversial and filled with passion i pray that your holy spirit would be speaking um, to our hearts that we would be open to the truth of your word that we would be obedient to what it says to us and that we would put you in our minds on the throne that you already possess, that we would live and act in a way that shows we know that you are on your throne. So cleanse my lips now to speak your truth, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, different people have different ideas about politics. We live in a world that is filled with politics. 
Here in Canada, there are frequent elections. We have elections for, we have one in Toronto, where I live, coming up very soon for the mayor. But we have provincial elections, we have mayor elections, we have federal elections. All of these things take place on a regular basis, and we all know what happens. People are running for office and they will say or do whatever they need to say or do in order to get elected. And then as soon as they get elected, suddenly things are a little bit different. Things aren't the way they were promised they were going to be. And uh, elected officials seem to become far less forthcoming. Some Christians look at politics as a means of redeeming society and making things right. So some espouse political philosophies, and if you've never heard of these words, that's fine. Some espouse political philosophies like theonomy, Christian reconstructionism, or dominionism to achieve a Christian society. Others are so disgusted by politics and the political process that they shut themselves off completely from this sphere and refuse to vote, refuse to take any interest, refuse to even acknowledge the political realm. So today we want to talk about this uncomfortable topic. What is the Christian's responsibility to government? Is it okay to participate in the political process? When is it right to disobey the government? Now, I could tell you my ideas, but my ideas are garbage. What we want to do is look at God's word and see what it has to say about what we're supposed to do to answer all of these questions. Lionel has read for us a very important text. It's not going to be our main text, but it's going to be the introduction to the text that we want to look at today. Lionel read Matthew 22, 15 to 22. We're not going to read it again, but I want to review a couple of things. If you remember what Lionel read, the Pharisees and the Herodians tried to trick Jesus. I find it ironic that the Pharisees and the Herodians work together because the Pharisees are people who hated the Roman government, wanted to get rid of them, hated paying taxes, and everything in their dreams at night was about seeing the emperor dead. That was their whole life. And yet the Herodians were people who were sympathetic to Herod, and these were people who thought the Romans were great thought that this whole system with the Romans running things and the taxes and the money that was accruing to them, this was a pretty good deal. And now these two groups, united in their hate of Jesus, even though they really hate each other, decided to band together to try and trick Jesus. So I guess the enemy of my enemy is my friend, or the friend of my enemy is my enemy, I don't know. But they, they decided they were going to work together to try and trick Jesus. So they came to Jesus, and they asked him a very simple question that you and I would think, what's the big deal? And the question they asked Jesus was, should we Jews pay taxes? Now, 
Why are they asking Jesus this question? And did you notice in the reading they, they flatter Jesus? We know that you're a good guy and you don't care what other people think and so on and so on. Should we Jews pay taxes? And they were trying to put Jesus in a bind. Because if Jesus says yes, then all the Pharisees would discredit him, and they'd be able to say, don't listen to that Jesus guy. He is not patriotic to the Jews. He doesn't love his own people. He's willing to pay these overlords who should be gotten rid of. Jesus is wrong. But if Jesus says no, the Herodians will go to the Roman government and they will brand him as a rebel and say, this guy refuses to pay taxes. He's a bad guy. So Jesus is stuck proverbially between the rock and the hard place. If he says yes, he's in trouble. If he says no, he's in trouble. What's he going to do? And Jesus' answer is brilliant. He asks them a question. And the question he asks is this. Whose portrait is on the coin? Whose picture is on the coin? And they look around at each other, and obviously the answer is Caesar. And so Jesus says to them a very simple sentence that is very powerful. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Now, Beyond getting out of this Vulcan mind melt trick that they were trying to do to him, Jesus is saying something very profound. Caesar had his image on certain things. They rightly belong to him. So there's what Jesus is saying both to the Pharisees and to the Herodians, by his answer. He is saying there is a proper domain and function for human government. Give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. But by using the phrasing he did, whose image is on the coin? He is reminding them of their own image. God has stamped his image on humanity. We know that. We've talked about it several times in this relationship series. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. In other words, what Jesus is simply saying is, citizens may give outward obedience to, to things of the human realm. In other words, citizens may give outward things to Caesar, but inward obedience and allegiance ultimately belongs to God. Jesus was saying the coin's use is determined by its likeness, and your use is determined by the likeness that you bear. You are to be like God. So as I said, our topic today is relationships with citizens and government. 
And our main text is going to be Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. And I want to answer this question. How should citizens of heaven respond to human governments? How should citizens of heaven respond to human governments? Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Paul is writing this letter to the Roman church at a time when things are not very good for Christians. Christians were living under the Roman Empire. The letter, most people think, that Paul writes to the Roman church is written around A.D. 57. So just before Paul writes this letter, the emperor in Rome was a guy by the name of Claudius. He was emperor from 41 A.D. to 54 A.D. And there were lots of problems for Christians under this emperor, especially in the city of Rome. Because of Christianity moving across the Roman Empire and especially within um, Jewish circles, there were a lot of conflicts and a lot of fighting and arguing and disagreement in uh, Jewish synagogues. And this went all the way to Rome. And so Claudius's solution to the problem of all this conflict was simply to say, Jews, get out. Get out of Rome. So in AD 49, all the Jews, Christians or not, got kicked out of Rome. So for a time, in the church in Rome, there were only Gentiles. And then in AD 54, Claudius passed away and another emperor came on and we're somewhat familiar with him because he was a crazy guy, is a guy named Nero. So when Paul writes this letter to the Christians in Rome, Nero is the emperor. The guy who fiddled while Rome burned is in charge. He's the boss of the Roman Empire. So he is ruling when Paul writes this letter. I think that's important to understand. Because some of the commentaries I looked at said, you know, Paul's writing at a time when uh, things were, were fairly stable and the government was good. Nero was in charge. He was crazy. It's not a good time for Christians. And especially in this time period, in the late 50s, early 60s, he began to show great hostility to Christians to the point where when he blamed Christians for the fire that he set in Rome, he arrested Christians and crucified them and set their bodies on fire to light the city at night. That's how much he hated Christians. This is not a friend to the Christian community. And, and church history tells us that he was the emperor in charge when Paul was executed. So he would have had a hand, because Paul appealed to Caesar, he would have had a hand in executing Paul, beheading him in A.D. 64, maybe A.D. 65. So Paul is writing this letter to a church living under an empire that is not friendly to them, in fact, is quite hostile to them. What are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to live? 
So the outline for the message today is, from these seven verses, I want to talk about respect for human government in verses 1 and 2, the role of human government in verses 3 and 4, and the response to human government in verses 5 to 7. So let's talk first of all about respect for human government in Romans 13, 1 and 2. Paul begins this section by saying these words in verse 1. Let every person, as long as the government is good and does what you want, be subject to the governing authorities. That's not what he says. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Paul says something very, very similar in his letter to Titus. Titus chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Remind them, talking to Titus, remind those in your church to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Peter, another one of the apostles, writing a little bit later than the letter to Romans, to a group of Jews who were the ones exiled by Claudius and are now living in Asia Minor, Peter writes these words in 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake for et to, sorry, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So the message is pretty clear. What are Christians supposed to do? And the answer is submit to authorities. And you say, well, that, these people are bad. These people are bad. Why should I submit to them? And so in the second part of verse 1 and in verse 2, Paul tells us the answer. Why do I have to listen to them? And the answer is because God is in charge. They're not in charge. God is in charge. And so he says here, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. God is in charge, and he puts people in power. Now, does that mean all those people are good? No, it does not. But God puts people in charge. We see this in the Old Testament. Jeremiah talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Judah went into exile under the Babylonians, and the king that was in charge that put them into exile was a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And Jeremiah says to the people of Israel, in Jeremiah 27, through the voice of Jeremiah, God speaks and he says, It is I, God, 
who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now, I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. God took the people of Israel, his chosen people, the ones he brought out of Egypt, the ones who he brought into the land to take the promised land. He put them into exile under his servant, Nebuchadnezzar. And yet if we fast forward a few years, Nebuchadnezzar gets really arrogant and he begins to say to himself, I'm pretty great. I've done all this by myself. I got here by my own power and strength and might and intellect and on and on and on. And so Daniel has to go to him and explain to him that he's going to go crazy for seven years. Because God had to teach him who is really in charge. And so Daniel Chapter 5, verse 21, talking about this time when Nebuchadnezzar ran around with super long hair and long fingernails and lived like an animal. He did this for seven years until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. In other words, God is in charge. And since God is in charge, that means God has established government. Now, when we look around the world and we look at the different governments that God has established, it is very obvious to you and to me that government has been corrupted by sin and government has been corrupted by sinners. The whole world has been corrupted by sin. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. So when we look at human governments today, we see scandal. We see waste. We see kickbacks. We see lies. But God has put government in place to be his servant. Now you're saying to yourself, David sounds like a crazy man. What is he saying here? That you just listen to whatever these crazy people say? Hold on, we're getting there. Hold on, we're getting there. God has put government in place to be his servant. So we should take government seriously. And it's hard for me to say, but government, the government of Canada, the government of China, the government of Nigeria, the government anywhere in this world plays a part in God's kingdom. Why? Because God put them in charge. So what am I as a Christian supposed to do? 
I am supposed to submit to the government. I am supposed to pray for the government. And unlike in the time of Paul, when nobody could vote, nobody could vote the Roman Empire in or out. But we live in a place where you can vote. So as a Christian, I should be obeying God by submitting to the government. In other words, Christians should be the best citizens of every country. Christians should be the best citizens in every country. One of the leaders of China, he, he finished his term right after I got to China. His name is Jiang Zemin. Jiang Zemin was interviewed by the French press. He went and lived in France when he was a student and studied there. But after he was in charge of China for 10 years, from 1992 to 2002, he was interviewed and someone asked him about Christians. And he said something very interesting. What he said was, I wish everyone in China was a Christian. Now, before you get too excited, he didn't mean, I wish that every single person gave their life to Jesus and followed him obediently. What he was saying was, I wish everyone in China would obey the government the way Christians do. Christians should be the best citizens. Not because we love who is in charge in the country, because in fact, most of the time, I don't. No matter where I'm living in the world, I'm not happy with who's in charge. I don't like the person who's running things. I'm not happy at all. But what does God's word say? It says submit. Now, what does submission mean? And this leads to a very important question. Is it ever okay to disobey? Is it ever okay to disobey the government? You've just hammered away for 10 minutes. Submit, 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 submit. God's in charge. He puts these people in charge. Submit, submit, submit. Is it ever okay to disobey the government? The answer is yes. And I have three examples. Yes, it is okay to disobey the government if you are asked by the government to do one of three things. Number one, violate a command of God. One of the people who wrote one of those verses we just read, Peter, in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, is going around in the temple area preaching and teaching about Jesus and talking about how these people are to blame for what has happened to Jesus, that he died on the cross. It was according to God's plan, but they are the ones who did it. And so he gets arrested and he gets beaten and he's told by the government, stop telling people about Jesus. And so then they let him go, and he goes right back to the temple, and he starts telling people about Jesus. And they say, what's wrong with you? Are you stupid? 
We just told you. We just arrested you. We just beat you. We just said, stop doing what you're doing. And Peter's response to them is very simple. We have to obey God rather than man. So when God tells you to do something and the government tells you to do something else, you have to obey God. You have to obey God. Another time it is okay to disobey is if the government asks you to commit an immoral or unethical act. This is a difficult one for my son. He works for the United States government. He works in cybersecurity. And whenever you work in security, half of the work involves not telling the truth. So when people ask you questions, you're not supposed to tell them anything. And if you tell them anything, you're not supposed to tell them the real thing. So what do you do when the government asks you to commit perjury or to falsify records or participate in some kind of wrongdoing? The question becomes again, who is in charge? Yes, the government is in charge, but who is in charge of the government? If I'm at work and my manager comes to me and says, David, I want you to do this, and you know that that's a bad thing. What happens if the president of the company comes and says, David, don't do that? Who do I listen to? I listen to the president of the company because he or she is the boss. They're the one in charge. So is it ever okay to disobey? Yes. And the third one that is going to be mentioned in the text a little bit later is, it is okay to disobey the government if it goes against one's Christian conscience. And you say, oh, what does that mean? If I don't feel like doing it, then I don't have to? Christian conscience, again, refers to your understanding of what scripture says and you are responding in this, excuse me, in this way, in submission to the will of God. Not many of you may know this, but I am a pacifist. I don't, I don't believe in violence. I don't participate in violence. I don't support war. Now, you can agree or disagree. That's my understanding of scripture. My son works for the Department of Defense for the United States government. My conscience would not allow me to work for the Department of Defense. My son's conscience allows him to work for the Department of Defense. He is a Christian. I am a Christian. I am responding in a way that says to God, this is what I see your word say, this is what I will do. He is responding in a way that says, this is what I see your word say. This is what I see you're asking me to do. So this one is the tricky one. This is the one that becomes difficult, where different people, good people, have different ideas about what God's word said. But the bottom line is still the same. 
we are submitting our wills to God because he is the one who is ultimately in charge. So point number two, very quickly, the role of human government. This one's pretty easy. The, the government has two roles, positive and negative. The positive role is described in verse three in the beginning part of verse four. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Why would you, or would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. He is God's servant for your good. The word servant that is used here, do you know what the Greek word is for this? It's the same word that is used in the New Testament in other places to talk about deacons. The government is the deacon of God. The government is the servant of God. Its role is to humbly serve God. And they do serve God. Maybe not well, but their, goal, or their design is to serve God consciously or unconsciously. Paul is telling us that the government is there for your good. God has put it there for your good. Remember the way things were back in the Old Testament during the judges period. When everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It was chaos. It was a giant mess. People were doing crazy things. Because there was no government. Government is the servant of God to bring stability, to create a functioning society. Government also has a negative role, a negative authority. And he mentions that in the last part of verse 4. He says, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not, hear the, uh, he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So government is the servant of God for those who do good, but government is also the avenger of God. The state takes the role of meeting out justice. A few verses before this, back in chapter 12, Paul has reminded the Christians that it is not my job to get vengeance. Vengeance belongs to God. God's way of dealing with evil, one of the ways of God's dealing with evil, is through the state. And we all know that the state does not deal with evil perfectly. But what God has designed that has been corrupted by sin also gives us a reminder and a picture of God's wrath against our own sin. And it ultimately looks forward to God's final victory over sin when Jesus returns and brings true and righteous rule. So the last three verses summarize what Paul is trying to say to us, and this is where the rubber meets the road. 
What should our response then be to human government in verses 5 to 7? Verse 5, he reminds them again. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Notice he, throughout this, he never uses the word obedience. He uses the word submit or be in subjection to. In other words, he's not saying do whatever the government says. But he's saying be in subjection to them. If the government tells you to do something and you say no, you need to be prepared to accept the consequences because you are obeying God rather than man. So he says again, therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath but also for the sake of conscience. So there are two reasons for us to submit, to be in submission, to be in subjection to the government. First reason is to avoid punishment, both from the state and from God himself. The second reason we are to be in submission to the government is, as Paul says, for the sake of conscience. Every believer knows that God is in charge. He is the ruler of the universe. Secular rulers are appointed by him and they function as his servants. So there needs to be a recognition for our conscience, a recognition that God is on his throne and he knows what he's doing. And I don't understand it, but he knows what he is doing. And he is doing it right. He goes on in verse 6 to say this. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. I hate paying taxes. I get my paycheck, I look and I see how much the government takes out and I think, stupid government, taking all my money, what did they do for me? I wasted all the time, and rubbish, what a pile of garbage. But Paul says, for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God. So why should I pay taxes? It's a recognition of the authority that government possesses over us. And this authority stems from the state's service to God as ministers. When I send my tax money to Revenue Canada, I'm sending my tax money to Revenue Canada but I am being an obedient child of God. Why does Paul say to pay taxes? Because we're being obedient to God and it funds the state's role as God's servant and avenger. So verse 7, he finishes by saying this. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed, 
revenue, to whom revenue is owed. The technical word that Paul uses here for revenue today would be um, tolls, license fees, this kind of thing. Pay taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Pay the licensing fees, to whom licensing fees are owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. And honor, to whom honored is owed. In other words, Paul is saying to us, do the right thing. The state is performing a God-ordained service for us. So when we pay our taxes, we are paying the taxes that God wants us to pay. When we pay the licensing fees, we are paying the fees that we owe in obedience to God. Now, as Christians, we may deplore the politics of a particular person in office, and I do. We may be repelled by his or her scandalous conduct, and I am. But we must respect the office and the officer, not because we like them, but as a recognition of God's sovereignty and control. And we respect that office and that officer through submission. So what am I supposed to do? What is my duty as a Christian? Very simply, my duty is to honor God above all else even human institutions. If you forget everything that I've said today, or you hate everything that I've said today, just remember number one. Honor God above all else, even human institutions. Number two, submit to authority since it is placed there by God. But number three, when it is not possible to do both, then expect to suffer for obeying God over human authority. So this is where I get nasty. I have some practical questions. Does my tax return reflect the word honor? Does my tax return reflect the word honor? Honor to the authorities and honor to God? Or do I indirectly steal from the government? Does my behavior reflect one of fear, respect, and honor for the government? Or does it reflect one of grumbling, insults, and arrogance? Or am I one who joins in the chorus of political rancor and the culture of insult, disrespect, and even unlawful pro protest? So no matter what, whether you're on the right or the left, you believe in democracy, socialism, communism, 
Christian Reconstructionism, whatever. Do what Jesus said. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are on your throne. Many times that is the only thing that we can hang on to when we look around and we see in our world the corruption and the violence and the, the turning away from you. And yet you are on your throne and Jesus is there at your right hand. So I pray for each one of us as we live in this fallen world to be the salt and the light that you have called us to be, that we would take your word on this subject seriously and before you we would live in a way that is pleasing to you by doing what you have called us to do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.